Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. It is Saturday, and that means today is December the 19th, the last Saturday before Christmas 2020. We're counting down the days till this crappy year of 2020 finally comes to a close. Some see it as the silver lining to a cloud that has hovered over us for an entire year. I see it as a welcome relief. Some see it as the end of an era as Donald Trump apparently will be leaving office. Some see it as a forebearer, a warning, a call to be prepared for a gropey Joe Biden presidency. Whichever way you look at it, the glass half full or the glass half empty, unless you're an optimist, you've simply got the wrong size glass. As I said, it's Saturday morning and I'm driving westbound to Lake Charles, Louisiana to mediate a dispute between an insurance company and a policyholder that thus far has dragged on for some five and a half months with no resolution in sight, with both sides dug in like the Confederacy and the Union during the Civil War. The policyholder's insurance company has noted about 15 shingles over the course of a five-year-old roof along the ridge caps were knocked off by a windstorm. The insured's policyholder public adjuster wants an entire new roof with all new decking, installation of high wind protective hurricane clips, along with tons and tons of other items of fluff, in my opinion. We'll have to take a look and see. I'm not telling you that I'm leaning one way or another as I've not seen the actual property in person. I have no idea of the condition of the actual roof covering, but it seems a little excessive. It's sort of akin to someone breaking a taillight lens on a car and the attorney for the person with the broken taillight lens demanding a new car or a new paint job along with all new lights and lenses and reflectors and throw in some windows, a new hood, a new trunk, new doors, new fenders, and a new quarter panel. Insurance is a contract between an insurance company and a policyholder. A contract means that for a sum of money that you pay to the insurance company, the insurance company will pay you to repair damages that occur from the covered peril. That means if your policy covers wind damage and 15 shingles on your roof are damaged, generally the insurance company will pay you to repair those 15 shingles. They generally are not inclined to owing you an entire new roof system, including all new roof decking and vents and flashings and all the other accoutrements that come on a roofing system. 
Many people are tricked and fooled by public adjusters and ambulance-chasing type lawyers who make them feel like they're getting screwed. I like to look at things from the approach, what would you do as a homeowner if you found 15 shingles damaged on your roof and you did not have an insurance policy? What would you expect to do on the roof of your house? Would you come out with 30,000 or so dollars from your savings and replace the entire roof on your house? Or would you simply have someone go up there and replace the 15 damaged shingles? It's that simple. Insurance is a substitute for what a reasonable person would do under a similar circumstance. But again, we have a group of people, opportunists, who think if we add everything but the kitchen sink to our estimate, then maybe we can get the insurance company to pay for the entire roof, all new shingles and vents and flashings. And depending on the attitude, the cockiness, the brashness, and the ego of the attorney or the public adjuster, maybe they'll even push to get all new roof decking, you know, the plywood or the OSB press board that's underneath the shingles. Only time will tell with today's program. I can only tell you that if I weren't getting paid for this, I wouldn't be driving three and a half hours each way to mediate this dispute. It seems pretty cut and dry on its face, but again, I might get there and be unpleasantly surprised and find way more damage than the insurance company's adjuster identified. After all, I've spent a few moments bashing public adjusters. Now I'm going to bash some insurance adjusters. Insurance adjusters acting on behalf of an insurance company fall into generally two categories. One is the company adjuster, a person who is on the company's payroll of the insurance company. They get a paycheck 52 weeks a year. They're paid whether they go out and work or whether they sit in an office and push paper all day. But they're also paid to protect their company's bottom line. Public adjusters will tell you that a company adjuster for an insurance company is seeking to pay the least amount of money possible and will use every trick in the book to shortchange a policyholder in the event of a loss claim. The other type of insurance adjuster that acts on behalf of the insurance company, at least as far as his or her paycheck is concerned, would be the independent licensed contracted adjuster. They generally work for an independent adjusting firm who is hired out either as a third-party administrator or simply to handle an influx of claims that overwhelms the capacity, the capability, the quantity of company adjusters. This person is paid on a contingency basis, meaning they only get paid for the claims that they actually inspect adjust and estimate. It also means that they're paid either a percentage of the loss in some way, shape, manner, fashion, or form, or they're paid on a fee schedule which is based on a percentage of the dollar value of damages within a certain range. For example, with the National Flood Insurance Program, an independent adjuster will be paid for a claim of one penny 
to $1,000, they'll get paid around 300 bucks, 387, and they get a percentage of that through the company for whom they are working. For a $30,000 flood insurance claim, the independent adjuster can make anywhere between eight and $1,100. It's quite lucrative when there's work for you to do. Don't quit your day jobs, boys and girls. But back to what I'm saying. The independent adjuster has more of a motivation to try and... Um... Sorry, folks. Sometimes when driving, I get a little distracted and... Uh, you get back to my point here. The independent contracted insurance adjuster has a financial incentive to find as much damage as they firmly believe the insurance company owes for an insurance claim. That's just the bottom line. The more an independent insurance adjuster finds in damages, the more that independent insurance adjuster can make on his or her fee schedule. It's literally that simple. So there is an incentive for that independent adjuster to find and identify and estimate for as much damage as they can possibly put through. They are, of course, tempered with the risk of being reinspected by the insurance company. And therefore, if they're found to be putting excessive amounts of damage into their estimate, then they might not be called again, or they might be asked to give back or even pay out of their own pocket a portion of the damages that they said they were going to pay for. All hypothetical, of course. The bottom line is, I don't believe there are any insurance adjusters out there, at least not independent licensed adjusters out there, who are actively seeking to screw a policyholder out of money that they are owed. Unless, of course, they're being ordered to buy an insurance company. But in the many decades I've been doing this, I've never seen it or heard of it firsthand. Now, that being said, on how many occasions will you get a newbie, a noob, a brand new, fresh insurance adjuster who's never adjusted a loss before and has the feeling that He'd better not put too much into the estimate or they might not call him back for the next storm. Or a new, never before been assigned insurance adjuster who doesn't know what the hell he or she is actually doing, has absolutely zero experience in the construction industry, the roofing industry, no experience whatsoever, never even built a birdhouse. And that individual doesn't have the first damn clue of what to include on a damage estimate. I'm sure that happens. I've seen it firsthand way back in Hurricane Katrina when my own house was damaged. I had a first time insurance adjuster who came out and refused to get on the roof of my 412 pitch, very, very non-steep roof because he was afraid he was going to fall through the roof. At 300 plus pounds, I can understand his trepidation. However, 
If you're not built for the job, then you shouldn't be doing the job. I wouldn't expect a 400-pound man to crawl into a fuel tank or a storage tank at a refinery because he'd probably never make it back out. I also wouldn't expect a four foot eleven guy to be playing professional basketball in the NBA. It's just a matter of physics. So anyhow, if you end up with an adjuster who doesn't know what the hell they're doing, I can see the need for a policyholder to become upset. But before you go out and hire a public adjuster or an ambulance chasing attorney to grossly overestimate your claim with no fear of punitive damages towards them, because after all, they're not licensed adjusters, at least the attorneys aren't. And the public insurance adjuster usually won't get on the roof themselves. They don't want to scuff their patent leather shoes. So they hire a contractor and that relieves them of some of the legal burden, some of the liability for grossly over-exaggerating a claim. Or they simply use the excuse well, I think that's what they need in order to bring the house back to its condition when it was brand new and freshly built. Before a policyholder is willing to give up between 10 and 40% of their actual insurance settlement to a public adjuster or an attorney, they should avail themselves of the many alternative dispute resolution opportunities afforded in the contract of insurance. They may invoke appraisal in which the insurance company appoints an independent appraiser and the policyholder appoints an independent appraiser. And yes, it can be a public adjuster or a contractor or an insurance uh, attorney. It can be. Then both appraisers come out and independently look at the damage, write an estimate, and try to come to some reasonable middle ground. And if those two appraisers cannot find middle ground, there's another opportunity. They can invoke an umpire. An umpire is truly a third party selected by and approved by both appraisers, independent reviewer of fact. An umpire goes out, has a quick look at the property or an in-depth look, depending upon the damages, and then looks at both of the estimates presented by each appraiser and says, hey, insurance company, I think you should pay for X. And they can say, hey, public adjuster or attorney, I think you've grossly exaggerated KLMNOPQRSNT. This is what my middle ground is. It doesn't have to be 50% down the middle. It's not a split the baby scenario. It truly is a third party disinterested from both sides who says, okie dokie fine, this is where I think this claim should be. And then if one of the appraisers, or both, agrees with the umpire, that's it. The claim is settled. There's no need for the policyholder to give up 10% to a public adjuster, or 35% to an attorney, or a total of 45% to a combination attorney and public adjuster? Because sometimes when you hire a public adjuster or an attorney, especially in cases where the disputed amount is small or the amount of the damages is small, 
policyholder loses because they end up giving up enough of their final settlement that the original insurance adjustment estimate is actually more. It actually happens. I've seen it on multiple occasions. Anyway, I did not start today's program with the thought, rambling from the front seat of the old F-250 here, that I would go into a long dissertation on insurance adjusting. My apologies to you folks. I intended to talk about Louisiana's sportsman's paradise and the fact that today is the opening day of the second split of duck hunting season. And though I'm not sure whether he's out there or not, my middle son, who just got married last week, is an avid duck hunter, has a duck lease down in southeast Louisiana. And from what I've heard from my buddies by phone and on the radio this morning, it's been quite a productive day on the marsh, in the bayou, and even out in the open waters in the Gulf of Mexico, right against the shoreline the wood ducks, teal, the redheads, all coming down to the marshes of South Louisiana because it's been a relatively dry year in the north and in the Midwest, and we're the only place where they've got water. If you're interested in learning about a little bit about Louisiana, the sportsman's paradise, I invite you to go to radio.com and look up Don the Outdoors Guy, or look up Don the Outdoors the Guy, uh, sorry, let's try that again, Don the Outdoors Guy.com on your web browser. You'll see The Outdoors Show with Don Dubuque, veteran Louisiana hunter and fisherman, Sportsman's Paradise's number one ambassador at this point in history, Don Dubuque. Puts on a hell of a show on WWL 870 Radio in New Orleans. And it can be heard in 35 states early, early on a Saturday morning before the sun comes up and the clear channel signal of WWL is broken up by the day's solar activity. Anyhow, they're killing the ducks down there in southeast Louisiana today along the marsh, the bayous, along the coast. And as an added bonus, as the tide starts to rise this morning, it's 7.21 a.m. Central Time as of this broadcast, the program, they're also catching bull reds, 40, 42, 35, 33, 36 inch, according to Todd, who just sent me a text with his numbers of the bull reds he caught this morning, five limit per person. He's also said he has caught some speckled trout ranging from 18 to 23 inches. The limit is 25 per person per day. And he said he got out at first light and is almost at his limit. 22 so far this morning. Must be nice. He also said he's picked up one flounder and two sheephead. One puppy drum and oddly enough, a two and a half pound bass, along with shooting some ducks. So great job. I'm waiting for the pictures to be sent to me. It might be very interesting to see what a Saturday morning on the bayou looks like since they're out hunting and fishing 
and I'm out getting ready to climb on a ladder and take a look at 15 shingles on the roof of a house. This is the Truth Hurts program. We'll be back in just a few. Just in time for the holidays, it's the new gropey Joe Biden action figure. Okay, it's a doll, but it's creepy as hell. The new gropey Joe Biden doll, er, uh, action figure, comes with working hands to grope Barbie, the American Girl doll, or even your actual eight-year-old daughter. Working hands twist and rub and tweak and fondle, just like the real Joe Biden. And as an added bonus, the new gropey Joe Biden doll, er, uh, action figure, has a new feature. Press on his crotch just a little and... That's right! Put the gropey Joe Biden doll uh, action figure's nose against any little girl's hair or any uncomfortable woman's neck, squeeze the crotch, and the doll uh, action figure will actually inhale through its hairy nostrils, just like the real gropey Joe. But wait, there's more. Pull up the pants legs, and you'll see the blot, 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 blonde hair on its legs, just like the real gropey Joe. And in water, the new gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure's hair, does just what gropey Joe said it will do. The hair on its legs will smooth out and then stand up underwater. Little black kids will spend hours rubbing the hair on the gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure's white legs, just like they did in the pool. If you order today, you'll get the gropey Joe Biden doll, er, action figure, complete with a toy version of the vintage Corvette convertible remote-controlled car, so you can watch it go down the sidewalk. It comes with loud speakers that shout out Gropey Joe's most popular gaffes. Order yours today. Send $439.99 to Gropey Doll and Car Set, care of your local Democrat National Committee campaign headquarters at www.gropeyjoedoll.dnc. Must be out of your mind to order. Allow four to six years or an impeachment for delivery. Not available in stores. It's the gropey Joe Biden doll. Just what every little girl dreads. As I said earlier, I am traveling to southwest Louisiana, just near the Texas-Louisiana border this morning, and I saw a billboard that caught my eye. If you've never tried it before, cracklins, fried pork rinds, basically, pork skins, chicarones, as the Hispanic community calls them. You can buy them from Golden Flake or Frito-Lay or a number of other vendors in your local convenience store, you'll see them. Fried pork skins, pork rinds. If you haven't tried them, they are a crunchy, crispy, salty, savory snack. I wouldn't recommend eating bags and bags of them. I'm sure they're not good for the cholesterol, but they are a tasty alternative to greasy fried potato chips, Cheetos, Fritos, there was a sign, fresh, homemade cracklins. And I get them sometimes from Pito's Truck Stop, P-E-T-O apostrophe S, at exit 59 off of Interstate 10. Not that that matters to most of you who will never see exit 59 off of Interstate 10 in Southwest Louisiana, but these 
delicacies have a distinctively Cajun twist to them. These bad boys are spicy. You can also get what is called boudin balls. Fried, breaded balls filled with sausage, peppers, onions, and rice. Very, very flavorful and tasty. And between Lafayette, Louisiana and the Texas border, there are multiple places where you can find these awesome Cajun delicacies. One place I enjoy is Don's Specialty Meats off of exit 97 in Scott, Louisiana. There's another location they have in Karen Crow, one in Lafayette. There's New News, The Best Stop, and several others. Billy's Boudin is one of my other favorites. And there you can buy what you've heard about only on the Cajun songs, jambalaya crawfish pie. Unfortunately, they don't sell filet gumbo. But there are very, very many local hotspots in southwest Louisiana, just off of Interstate 10 and U.S. Highway 90, where you can indeed enjoy some delicious, delectable, mouth-watering, heartwarming, chicken and sausage gumbo or seafood gumbo with crab meat, shrimp, oysters. It's 7.26 in the morning. I can tell you my mouth is watering just thinking about what I'm going to be doing for lunch today. There are also oyster bars where you can get oysters on the half shell or char-grilled cooked oysters. All throughout the locally owned restaurants here in southwest Louisiana. Now, you might be saying, I thought you didn't do commercials, Steve Z. Trust me, folks, this is not a commercial. This is just like someone in Texas bragging about their favorite steakhouse, someone in Kansas City bragging about their favorite barbecue, or someone in Maine bragging about their lobster bisque or their clam chowder. Louisiana is a sportsman's paradise, but I can promise you this. I have, as you all know, worked literally around the globe. I've been to countries in, what, five continents, four continents now? And I can assure you, you won't find a finer group of food choices than you find in southwest Louisiana. Sorry for the delay there. The short pause. Trying to let a group of 18-wheelers get onto the highway here without getting rear-ended myself. Yes, the food choices in south Louisiana vary from Cajun to Creole to straight-up French. Of course, Mexican. We also have fine Italian dining. We have great American dining. You can find barbecue in just about all of its forms right down here in the Bayou country. And yes, the closer you get from Lafayette to Lake Charles, you'll actually see the Texas delicacy known worldwide as the What A Burger. W-H-A-T-A-B-U-R-G-E-R. What A Burger. Of course, Texans call it Water Burger which I have never understood. Water burger. Every time I hear someone from Texas say water burger, all I can picture is a bun 
with water on it and another bun. Ugh. I've had Whataburger, Whataburger. They've uh, got an overpriced sandwich, in my opinion. And a while back, you may recall, I mentioned what my late son Jonathan and I had discovered about hamburger chains throughout the United States in our travels doing insurance adjusting work. Everyone has their own opinion. That's why there are 64 colors, crayons, in the Crayola box. That's why Baskin and Robbins has 31 flavors and not just one. Everyone has their own preference, their own choice. And on the lower end of the scale, of course, McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King. Then if you want to step it up a notch, you can have Hardee's, um, you could have Whataburger. And then just another step up the rung, you have the choice between Five Guys, In-N-Out Burger, and other smaller but more sophisticated chains like Cheeburger Cheeburger. But I think in all of my time doing this, most recently there's a place in Baton Rouge, Louisiana called Burger Smith. Burger Smith gives you an option of bison and other more rare forms of ground beef. And they do an artful job of manufacturing, of creating art form. They make a really, really tasty hamburger, and they do something that BK and Mickey D's and Wendy's don't think of doing. They add a little bit of seasoning to their hamburger meat, which gives it a whole different dimension of flavor. Jonathan's favorite was Five Guys Burgers, followed by In-N-Out Burgers, French fries. I was exactly the opposite. I liked In-N-Out's burger and I loved Five Guys fries. Uncle T's Oyster Bar, Fezzo's, and Don's Seafood are the three locations near Lafayette, Louisiana where you can get char-grilled oysters on the half shell. The recipe is pretty simple. Charcoal grill on a high heat. Freshly shucked Louisiana Gulf of Mexico oysters in the shell, placed on the hot grill with a little bit of minced garlic, some fresh drawn creamery butter, and as the oyster begins to cook in its own juices and its shell, you add a little bit of cheese, Parmesan my favorite, or you can add some provolone or some mozzarella, whatever you like. And as the cheese starts to bubble and crisp, you add a little bit of bacon bits to the top of the oyster. Splash it with a slight splash of Jack Daniels or your favorite smoky bourbon. Let that liqueur burn off and serve it piping hot. You will not regret it. And that way you can say you had oysters on the half shell, but you didn't have to deal with the sliminess of a raw oyster. Personally, I'll take the raw oyster any day and twice on Sundays, but I do enjoy the char-grilled oysters. One dozen served on a platter with French bread slices to soak up the juices after you're done.
Whew. Folks, making my mouth water on a Saturday morning. Still headed westbound on Interstate 10. I hope we're not boring you with talk of food. This early in the morning, it won't make you want to run out, I don't believe, and grab oysters. It's pretty unlikely that you'll run out at 7.33 in the morning and cook a steak. But it's been known to happen. That's the truth, boys and girls. And sometimes the truth hurts. The Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It's like hearing what you are actually thinking. Only with a really cool DJ voice saying it. And it is Saturday morning, and it is the Truth Hurts program, and it is coming to you from the front seat of the old F-250. And so, because it's Saturday, I try to refrain from speaking about politics and other items that will set your digestive system into a tizzy. Earlier, we were speaking about food in South Louisiana. I did a program earlier this year on the different types of barbecue. I got some feedback from that. I decided since I was going to be on the road for a while this morning, I'd drag some of that feedback along with me. Dear Steve Z, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and have a home in Columbia as well. Good for you. Happy for you. We love our barbecue in South Carolina, and the fact that it is a mustard-based sauce does not make it automatically disgusting. Like I said, Baskin and Robbins has 31 flavors for a reason. I do not like strawberry. Therefore, I don't buy strawberry. I don't like mustard-based barbecue sauce. Therefore, I don't buy mustard-based barbecue sauce. P.S. Steve Z. You have not lived until you have dipped your french fries into Heinz malt vinegar. I have dipped my fries into Heinz malt vinegar. It's a staple at most of the restaurants in North and South Carolina and many restaurants throughout the South. Many people like to dip their fries in vinegar. It's okay. Personally, I'm a Heinz 57 ketchup guy myself because Hunt's is a little too sweet for my palate. Steve, I can't believe you would rather have Memphis barbecue than brisket from Texas to each his own. Steve, I've known you a long time and I would hate to lose a friendship over this, but how in God's name can you possibly say that you don't like Tex-Mex brisket from San Antonio? For the record, I've never said I don't like Tex-Mex brisket from San Antonio. Never had Tex-Mex brisket. I have, however, had Crazy Kurt's wonderful brisket made from his pellet grill smoker right outside of his RV. And Crazy Kurt, my hat is off to you, sir. Some of the very best brisket I've ever eaten. When Kurt, by the way, Curtis, my good buddy, is from San Antonio. 
So please don't put words into Steve Z's mouth. I loves me some crazy Kurt's smoked barbecued brisket. And when he does it, he does it right. He sets that smoker up at around three in the afternoon with his pellets and his secret combination of different types of wood smoke that he puts into that smoker. And a brisket will run from 12 to 16 hours depending on the size of the brisket. And when I say able to be eaten with a spoon, melt in your mouth, delectable, delicious, bona fide, real Texas barbecue. The day Crazy Kurt closed his barbecue restaurant to chase hurricanes was indeed a day that was lost on the palates of America. Sorry, shout out. Yes, Curtis and I worked on a federal task force in Washington, D.C. for about almost two years, I guess, together. And we were a group of some 240 total people on the task force from different parts of the country. Many of those folks stayed in hotels. Many of us stayed in our recreational vehicles, our motorhomes, our fifth wheels, our travel trailers. And I happened to meet Curtis and his lovely bride. And he always had a nice adult beverage waiting at the end of the day for old Steve Z when I came over to his RV to enjoy some barbecue or some stuffed jalapenos. Mmm, fantastic food. Of course, Curtis will tell you if you know him that he enjoyed quite a lot Steve Z's personal recipe for chicken sausage filet gumbo. Also, he enjoyed my seafood gumbo to an extent, but being from San Antonio, you know, those folks, they're not too much into seafood. Guess there's not enough water around there to get them primed for the taste of seafood. One thing's for sure, during our time at the task force working together, we had many an outdoor cooking session with many of our colleagues, tried foods from all around the country. Everybody has their own personal recipe for something they enjoy making. And I enjoy eating, so that makes it really good. My friends Dwayne and Keith, and my recently passed friend Stan, along with a few others, we had a barbecue one time of what my late son Jonathan would tell you if he were alive today was the very best steak we ever ate. And it was cooked by my friend Dwayne from Bullard, Texas. We went to a butcher shop and we bought an entire slab of prime rib. Dwayne told the butcher, I made it sliced an inch and three quarters to two inches thick. Don't skimp on it. We ended up with 13 of the most beautifully marbled cuts of prime rib that I've ever seen. And I've eaten at some very, very fine restaurants in different countries. This particular prime rib just, just really caught my eye. It was beautiful, perfectly marbled, aged. It was, it was just a fantastic cut. My son Jonathan 
and his fiance at the time, of course, Faye, decided they would marinate these steaks. And they did so. They marinated them in a giant bag, like a turkey bag that you would baste your turkey in. And the combination of Seven Seas Craft Viva Italian Salad Dressing, Worcestershire, some soy sauce, and some Crystal Hot Sauce. Crystal, not Tabasco brand, but Crystal Hot Sauce, made by Bomber Foods out of New Orleans. A little salt, some fresh cracked pepper, and they closed up the bags and they kneaded these steaks like you would knead dough prior to baking bread. They tenderized these steaks literally in the bag with their hands on the outside of the bag so as to not touch these steaks. But they worked these steaks over for about an hour till their hands were hurting. And we let the steaks set in the refrigerator, slightly chilling. We placed them on 650 degree coals on the open grill and we let them cook as my buddy Dwayne would say he wanted his rare wipe his old nasty ass off slap him on the grill count to 10 and flip him count to 10 again flip him count to 5 flip him count to 5 throw him on the plate that was enough for him. Seared on the outside, still mooing on the inside. Jonathan Fay liked theirs medium rare and they stayed on the grill just a little longer. Mine, medium, turned out to be medium rare, which was a pleasant surprise and a treat for me, so I was happy. Delicious, the probably best actual steak I've ever eaten. And Jonathan went to his grave saying the same thing. Anytime we talked about, hey, what's your favorite steak you've ever had? It was always that particular incident. And it wasn't just because we were with good friends and colleagues and hanging out at the afternoon Kentucky uh, fall skies. It wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. It was the steak was just that damn good. And I couldn't just sit around and watch my kid and my friend make steaks. So I went inside and boiled up some bee-sized potatoes, those little red bee potatoes that you throw in a crab boil or a low country boil. And I made them with some Zatarain's liquid crab boil, a little salt and pepper, some onions and some bell peppers, boiled them up till they were al dente. We served those up. It was a real meat and potatoes kind of night with the gang. Uh, a night we can, of course, never have again because Jonathan has passed on to the great beyond and so is Stan. And that leaves Keith in the Carolinas, Dwayne in Texas, Faye in Louisiana and myself in Louisiana, all doing our own thing now, all having gone our separate ways. And it's, it's a shame when you lose good people. This is the Truth Hurts program. Sorry to drone on.
Listening to the Truth Hurts program is the highlight of my day. Okay, it really is not, but that's what Steve Z told me to say. I am not oppressed because I am a computer. And finally, on this Saturday morning edition of the Truth Hurts program from the front seat of the old F-250, we've spoken about insurance, we've spoken about great barbecue and steaks and camaraderie, and that is all well and good, my friends. We're going to wrap up this morning's show, asking you to ponder a few things in this final few days of 2020. If you thought it was a really crappy year, raise your hand. I thought so. If you think 2021 has the potential of being a better year, raise your hand. Of course, every year we hope that the next year will be bigger, better, brighter. We have to worry, of course, about the impending socialist takeover of our nation. We still have yet to worry about a January 5th runoff election of two Georgia Senate races, which could indeed ultimately decide whether or not we start shifting radically to the left, or if we maintain some slight conservative control over our country. We really need those two Republican candidates to win so that the Senate, at least one branch of our government, one half of the legislative branch, can remain in the hands of of conservative thinkers, of people not hell-bent on radically, fundamentally changing our nation to a more socialist, communist form of government, a more crazy communist mindset. What have you done this year to make the world a better place? What do you plan on doing next year to make the world a better place or do you just think it's all about you and to hell with everything and everyone else it's not a really good way to live but a lot of people do find themselves living in that type of mindset that type of heart set I know the things from a pessimist's point of view that bother me that worry me some is gropey mopey dopey sleepy creepy Joe Biden in the White House and just how long it might take before Kamala Harris and her ilk find a way to get him out so they can put Kamalto Harris in and Nasty Nancy as your vice president. And then after that, how long it will take for Nasty Nancy to find a way to get rid of Kamalto Harris and put Nasty Nancy into the White House. It's not as far-fetched as you might think. It's been thought of by myself as well as several other conservative political commentators, right-leaning thinkers. I also am concerned with the Rona, the way that the government has manipulated you, the sheeple, with a virus that has a less than 0.003% death rate amongst those who have the virus far, far lower death count of those of the total population of our nation. It's, uh, it's unbelievable how they've manipulated the public with this story over the year. 
I'm also concerned that they're trying to stick a needle in every one of the 330 million Americans' arms with some magically concocted vaccine that was hurriedly produced to ward off the potential that you might catch the Rona, the COVID, the Wuhan, China novel coronavirus of 2019. You know, the Kung flu, the Kung fu Wuhan, China flu. I'm worried about potential long-term side effects. And no, I don't really think there are microscopic nanobots there that will trace you through the new 5G network that they're ramming down every neighborhood. I don't think this is some design by the Chinese to sterilize Americans after this generation or the next. But hey, anything's possible, right? As I said before, I'll say once again, I have no desire, no plot, no plan, no ploy, no purpose, no program in the Steve Z arsenal to take this vaccine until I've seen much evidence that it is doing its job without harming people. Let's face it, harming people is not a good thing, especially when you are people. Have you finished your Christmas shopping yet? Today's Saturday. You have today, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday left. Because Thursday, my friends, will be Christmas Eve. Friday, of course, Christmas Day. This year for me and for my household, pretty much everyone said, don't want anything, Dad. We really don't want anything. We've gotten everything we need good upbringing. We all have our own houses. We all have our own furniture. We all have our own vehicles. We have our own toys. We don't need a gift card. We don't plan on going shopping for anything. And that's a very comfortable place to be for a parent. But it's also a distressing place to be because I still recall my children being children rushing to the Christmas tree at 5.30 in the morning to open the gifts from Santa and the gifts from Mom and Dad. I remember the evening before Christmas going to my mom's and the kids being so excited to open their gifts from Granny and then rushing over to the in-laws so the kids could be excited to open the gifts from Nana and Pop-Pop. And of course, Granny's still here, Pop-Pop's still here, Nana has passed on, the kids are grown. One of the kids is no longer with us. And I just think I will sorely miss the twinkle in their eye on Christmas morning when they open up that oh-so-coveted gift, that thing they wanted so badly, the thing they whispered into Santa's ear at the mall. And then Santa told Mom or Dad as they were paying for the Santa pictures. To those let's sorry. Getting a little choked up there. To those of you with small children, to those of you with grandchildren, please, oh please, oh please, do not let this year's horrible sequences of events ruin the magic of Christmas for those young ones. Remind them what Christmas is all about, that it is indeed a birthday party and the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That it's a birthday party for Him but you get the presents. 
And remember to live in the present, my friends. The past is gone and the future is not promised. All we have is today, and that's why they call it the present. The gift that keeps on giving. And that, my friends, is indeed the truth on this last Saturday before Christmas in the year 2020. One last thought, I'd like to remind you all that on the 20th, the 21st, and the 22nd, the optimal peak time for viewing the Great Convergence, the Christmas star as it is being called, the Jupiter-Saturn alignment in our sky, in the southwestern sky, just after sunset. Go outside and witness what is known as the Christmas star, the Christmas miracle, Christmas convergence of two of our planetary bodies just in time for the holidays. Much as it was, as it appeared to the Magi some 2,053 years ago, as the three wise men headed across the desert to greet the birth of a young baby that had been predicted, prophesied, the birth of Christ, the star of Bethlehem led the way to those wise men. The star of Bethlehem is in the sky now. You'll be able to see it tonight, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, provided you have clear skies just above the horizon in the southwestern sky. Listen, everybody, go out there and make it a great day. I've enjoyed spending a little time with you today. Hope you've enjoyed spending a little time with Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. We'll see you next time. The best part of waking up is listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It is not a cup of coffee. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. This is the College of Common Sense at the University of Universal Understanding. We hope that you have learned something worthwhile from today's presentation, and we invite you to share it with family, friends, co-workers, and even those you do not particularly care for. Programs like the Truth Hurts with Steve Z are amongst our most cherished rights in a so far free nation. Let us hope that freedom can be continued. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. This recorded work is copyright 2020 and is the property of Steve Knight Productions, all rights reserved. The Truth Hurts program is produced at Studio 63 in association with Steve Knight Productions and background music is provided by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Again, we thank you for listening. <laughs>